Hey there, welcome to Board Game Hot Takes, the podcast where we give our immediate reactions to the hottest board games just minutes after playing them. My name is Tim. And this is Chris. This is Adam. And this week, instead of giving a hot take review on the game we just finished playing, we're going to be talking about a whole bunch of games covered over a long weekend of gaming. This is our semi-annual gaming convention, BGHT Gaming Con. This time was in Portland, Oregon in the United States. And uh, just four of us, me, Chris, Adam, and our regular foursome player, Steve, joined us. And I'm glad that you qualified that within the United States uh, because we do go international for these. No, we never go international. We always just go to like West. We barely make it out of like Arizona. No, we haven't. Well, there's a lot of Portland, Oregon's, you know, that I just wanted to eliminate <laughs> the possibility just in case. Good point. Plus, we sound very international, don't you think? I mean, how could you tell we're from the United States? Good qualifier. <laughs> oh, yes. We, we sound so international. Oh, and, and are we overblowing it a little bit by actually calling it a convention, considering <laughs> it's always the same four people every time? That's, I'm not sure that qualifies as a convention. My daughter asked me tonight, she's like, Dad, what, is, what does Con stand for? Is that convention? I was like, yeah, but it's not really a convention. It's just a couple of friends hanging out in a house all weekend. So yeah, but yep, it is BGHT con or semi semi annual BGHT con. We played over approximately five days, got a whole bunch of games. So we're gonna be talking about a lot of those tonight. So many of them were new to us this time, which was really exciting. But also going back to revisiting some old favorites, we may not get to everything tonight. So if we don't, we'll be finishing this up next week. I'll wrap it up the whole series. I'm telling you, there's excitement to be had throughout. So don't skip next week's episode. But let's get started here. Now, I didn't ask a poll question this week, which we normally do before every episode to have a little extra topic to talk about. But we did have some listeners ask us what it takes to kind of get one of these cons put together. So I thought we could just talk about that really quickly, how we organize this and what this weekend looked like for us. And then we'll jump right into the game. So we won't spend too much time on that. Scheduling. Scheduling was a rough one this time. Uh, we got you know four people with families and jobs and lives and stuff like that. So that's always where we start, and it's usually just started in a text thread. How do you guys feel like that's a, it's a rough one for you, or pretty easy? It's usually pretty easy. This time it was a little bit rougher because I think all of us had pretty busy falls coming up, and so usually we hit sometime in October. And we were all pretty booked. So it actually ended up being a very last minute decision. I think we made this call in maybe what, June or July that we were going to actually get together in September rather than October like we normally would. And that way we could get everybody there and it wouldn't you know bump up against other important family things we had going on. So this is a little tougher than usual, but it's usually it's usually not too bad. Would you say, Adam? Well, yeah, so this one was a bit of a short notice and we kind of picked a weekend and then ran with it. So all weekends in September, there was something going on. So this was the least busy for me. I missed Finley's opening day soccer kind of fundraiser carnival thing. Fortunately, we have some friends and neighbors that were also going to that event because their kids were going. To, so she went with them and still ended up having a great time over there. And then Sarah was off running around at a baby. So we had a lot of stuff going on this weekend too, but it's a lot less busier than our other weekends this month. So we made it happen with the help of friends and neighbors and people that care about us. So that was great. And it was it's always a blast to get up and see you guys and hang out and play games. I had so much fun. I had to cut it a little short on Monday night to get back and help with pickups and soccer practice and this and that and putting the putting the baby to sleep. Yeah, it was fun to get away. It 
did feel good to get back home. Yeah. Yeah. Scheduling was is always a little rough, but this fall seemed like it was impossible for us to find a, a weekend together. In fact, I ended up having to have my mom fly into town just so that she could watch my kid because my wife was traveling for a sales conference. But it, it's good. I'm glad we, we we got it together. Scheduling scheduling with four people is rough when you live all over the country and have to- totally different schedules. Now, the more interesting thing is like, how do we pick the games we're playing? And we also have a long text thread going on that for weeks. It's usually like... One person's like, hey, these are all the games I had in mind. Anything you want to veto? And so we'll kind of show it like, yeah, I'm not going to play that. So one more thing we don't have to bring. Chris and Steve happen to live in Portland, so they were able to bring games pretty easily. Adam and I had to be a little bit more picky about what we brought out there because we got to throw them on a plane and stuff. So I managed to take a whole bunch of games, stick them in one or two boxes, and I got four full games brought out there. Adam got about four or five games, some smaller box ones mainly this time, but uh, we brought a few too. And as always, we don't get through all the games we all bring anyway. So I think we had like 30, 40 games there. We probably got through 15 or 16. It's, it's fun to go through that, even that process of like, I'm I'm always thinking for like weeks ahead of time, what are the, what are the going to be the big hits this con? What do I really want to get played? What do I think is going to be a big hit with everybody else? How do you guys go through that process of picking the games that you're bringing? Well, it's interesting because this was a really different con for us. Part of that is because we made, I think, the best decision that we could have possibly made in the situation was this time we were not going to score and we weren't going to have a trophy. We weren't going to have a champion. And the reason why that changed the games we played, I think, is that it really took a lot of the pressure off because when you're playing for points and you're playing for like a league scoring or you're playing for you know a serious competition, you're thinking about the games in terms of not just do, what do I want to play, but what can I win at? What can I get points at? What game, if you know, Adam's in the lead, what game do I now need to pick that I think I can beat Adam at if he's the guy to beat in this one? And so we decided to do away with that this time. We decided we wanted to be more casual about it. And what that meant was we had more freedom to pick the games that we were just, the things we wanted to play. And for me, I had a ton of stuff I wanted to play because my shelf of shame has become an absolute disaster over the course of the past year. I have so many games now that I've gotten Kickstarters that have showed up, games that I've bought because I thought they looked interesting. And so I had so many things that I'd never played that I really, really wanted to get played. And because we were in Portland, I was able to stack all of that stuff in my car and bring it over. So the first thing I looked at, well, actually, I looked at two things. One was, what games am I just dying to play? I knew I wanted to play Eclipse, and I just bought a copy of it. I really wanted to get that played. But then I was also able to say, hey, what games have I wanted to play but haven't been able to play that I can get off of my shelf of shame? And so that was a huge motivator for me this time in the games that I brought that I wanted to get played. That's such a great point, Chris, about the the not scoring and relieving lots of the pressure. I had so much fun with that. It opens the door for playing all these games. I'm not the best rules teacher. I'm okay. And even the very best rules teacher is going to forget a rule here and there and be like, oh, guys, I forgot to tell you, you know, don't forget about this, this, and this. Oh, that totally changes my strategy now. The trophy is not going to be mine. And oh, this is horrible. It's disqualified. What a, so I can generate some bad, whatever. I was able to pick some games that I wanted to play that had been on my shelf for a while that I hadn't played yet, for instance. And if I was going to teach them, a lot of that pressure was relieved that I could mess up a couple rules and we still roll with it and still have fun and see how the game works. So a lot more opportunity for exploration, like Chris was saying, trying these new games out and seeing what they're like. There doesn't have to be a clear cut first, second, third place. We were kind of restricted, I thought, 
for the games we had to pick previously versus this time it was a lot more free-flowing a lot more explorative and a lot more fun for me yeah totally and the games i picked yeah i was kind of selfish i just picked some euros that i've been wanting to play and i knew there wasn't gonna be a whole lot of euros there (laughs) so sorry guys every time we're having so much fun and then i'd be like okay now we're gonna play this heavy euro sorry guys (laughs) no more fun to be had here but um you know it was i had i just brought a carry-on and so i just like stuffed as much as i could into a couple small boxes and barely any clothes just so i could fit it in there so i kind of picked both with the games i wanted to play i did ask you guys on text like hey any of these you're interested in and then i just whatever i could fit into my bag that's what what came out i got three out of the four games i brought played so it was almost all worth all the effort i was impressed him you fit a couple like deluxe editions from giant euros into your did you bring any boxes one box and you just put them all in one box or how'd you do it i ended up bringing two boxes yeah and just stuffed everything okay. in a couple boxes so that was interesting and basically what we do is we rent an airbnb so that we all just have like you know a space to ourselves got a four bedroom place but then one of the funny things is when we pick our airbnb we're looking at the pictures and we're always like is that table look big enough so it's always <laughs> it's a key it's critical that we got to have a big enough table when we rent the, the place and we also specifically try to find a place that's in an area especially when we're in portland where it's walkable we don't ever you know we don't have to get in the car too much we did this in long beach too but um this was awesome because basically we could walk to lunch we could walk to dinner most of the time so that was that was some of the key decisions with our airbnb choices it was awesome because chris did a bunch of grocery shopping before we all got there so we were able to just get in and start playing games chris had the fridge stocked and the you know had some food so we always had some like fruit for breakfast and snacks sitting around the table yeah Yeah. let's jump into the games which is the most fun part about this. Now, unfortunately, for the first time ever, I was the last one to arrive in Portland because I was just coming home from another destination before I had to get on this flight. So these guys got a couple games played before I even got there. The first game you guys started with was Quacks of Quedlinburg. How'd that go? Well, first of all, it was great actually not being the last person there. Usually it it turns out either we all show up at the same time, like when we went to Sedona and you drove us all up there, or more likely... I'm the last one who shows up and you guys have played a bunch of games and then all this cool stuff. And this time I felt very special because I was the first person there. I got the house a little bit set up and I uh, went and got Adam from the airport. And then Steve, you know, we got back from the airport and as we were driving up, Steve was driving up. It was perfect. And we're like, okay, let's get a game played. What do we got? Quacks of Quedlinburg. I had so much fun playing Quacks. I thought that game was an absolute blast. I'd heard you guys talk about it. You did that joint review I was not on that one, but it was uh, Quacks of Quedlinburg and Cubitos or Cubitos or however you pronounce that. And they both sounded like fun games to me, but I didn't realize how much fun Quacks of Quedlinburg was going to be. And I also I'm learning every time I play a new bag building game, I'm learning how much I love bag building, how exciting it is. You know, we play Wonderland's War and I get that heart thumping feeling every time I draw a tile out of the bag. Man, I was getting that like this game every round, every turn. I mean, this is like bag building extreme. You know, in Wonderland's War, you're doing it occasionally, and it's a you know it's a very impactful part of the game. But you're not doing it constantly. In Quacks of Quedlinburg, you are just doing it constantly and so much fun, having the different effects from the different the different chips that you pull out of the bag, filling up your pot. I was absolutely blown away by this game. I had a great time with it. Yeah, it was a great choice to start off the weekend for the three of us. It was a lighthearted, easy to get going, 
little bit of smack talking as we're like making this witch's cauldron of stew and cherry bombs and this little power and that little power. It was fun watching you, Chris. You had this whole investment system going. I don't know what sort of scheme you had. These green things were letting you move up like 10 spaces at the end of the... I don't know what you had going on, but you you just kept saying, you just got to have a long-term investment strategy, Adam. That's all it takes. And it was <laughs> it, it was magical watching you crush it over here. Adam. I wish it had gotten me a win. <laughs> so yeah, Sly Steve over there, he was like, oh, you just got to move up your little droplet, your little initial starting point. And then... He made it all the way to 35 in the last round of the game. He, he was ready to keep going and drawing more tiles, but he's like, I guess I can't go anymore, and I just destroyed all you guys. Adam, this was your first time playing since we reviewed it, I think, right? And I, I kind of remember your review of it. You were kind of mediocre on it. How? I mean, do you, did, did it hit a little bit better for you this time? Yeah, I had a lot more fun in person playing this one. It's The physicality, I think, helped out, and the big old pot and this goofy little rat, the rat tails were fun, and move that thing out there and move that thing around. And you got the bottles and the jewels. So it was a lot more tactile. And then being able to actually reach into this bag and try to manifest the right chip that you needed to put out on the on the cauldron at the right moment, that was really fun too. So I had a lot of fun playing Quacks in person. A lot more fun than I did on TTS on the review. Chris, I since you're such a huge fan of uh, bag building, I think it's time to revisit Orleon, the, one of the original bag builders, classic, next con. We'll have to bring that one. Uh, I'm always I'm always open minded about these things, but I am also <laughs> I am also a bit skeptical. One thing I will say that I really like about, and maybe this is true of or- Orleans or Orleans, as we say in the good old United States of America, which is happens to be where we held this con. <laughs> that I appreciated that with Quacks, there was still some strategy there. I mean, there was definitely strategy in this game. A lot of it's fun, you know, bag building. You're pulling chips out. You know, you're you're playing the odds, and that there's a lot of luck involved in it. But the way that you purchased the tokens when you were able to, you know, I clearly had a strategy. It wasn't the winning strategy. It didn't win me the game, but I had a strategy, and I can see how you could have taken a bunch of different strategies and pushed the odds one way or the other in your favor. And I think. For a game that's light and has a lot of uh, that kind of fun, push your luck kind of an aspect to it, I think having that level of strategy in there, you know, it keeps the br- it keeps the brain engaged, and it's not just a, a straight you know dice roll every time. And I thought that was a nice that was a nice touch. I assume Steve taught this one. Did you guys? Did he? Do you know? Did he set up with just like the the base, like the main starter cards, or did he did like? put a variance in there how do you guys set this one up no we he left it up he said you know what set are we going to pick and i was like oh, let's pick set three so we had to look for okay. three bookmarks on the bottom of these different things and i yeah I, that was my only task that was my only job this game <laughs> was to set those up and of course i flipped one over to the four side and so we played with that for like you know half of the first round before oh we're like adam's an idiot so let's fix this on our merry way after that mistake. What a quack. Nice. I, I actually really like all the variance that comes from those those recipes. But, you know, the thing is, you don't have to put them all on one set. You can kind of totally vary it. It's it's kind of like Wonderland's War, where you could do all the whoa. A's or all the D's. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You can't do that. Let's, <laughs> yes, let's you can. Stay in your lane, dude. No, you, if you play quacks enough, you're going to mix it up. Oh, that's cool, guys. I wish I'd been there. I, I, I do enjoy quacks, but I get a lot of chances to play it. So that was a good one for you guys to knock out without me. The one other game that you got done without me was uh, the Cat in the Box, which is a game that Adam, you and I have played together. This was Chris's first play. What do you guys think? I Okay, so a little bit of a spoiler alert here. 
with one notable exception, I am not going to be talking smack about games that we played this weekend because I had a great time with almost every game that we played. Actually, like I said, with, with one exception, every game that we played, including Cat in the Box. I mean, I, that surprised me. This is a this is a trick taking game, but I thought the fact that you chose your own suit was really neat. It was a lot of fun. It just as, as an aside on this one, Tim alluded to this when we talked about it on the. I think Adam had it on the on the table segment. There was the Schrodinger's cat, which is where this comes from. I actually had not heard of that before, so there may be a listener or two out there who doesn't know about Schrodinger's cat. And that this game is based on a uh, on the theory of quantum physics. Schrodinger's cat was a thought exercise in the field of quantum physics, which is just incredibly interesting. Look it up, Google it. It's super interesting. I also, in the course of this conversation, learned that Adam's dad was a, a theoretical physicist who like helped discover uh, quantum particles. So that was actually uh, that was pretty interesting stuff to to learn. But this game. I had a lot of fun with it. We played uh, kind of a warm-up hand, and then we played a full game of it, and I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it. I still wouldn't call myself a full-on fan of trick-taking games, but this game adds a really interesting twist to it that I thought kept it, it kept it fresh. In particular, the red, where the Trump suit, where you can choose it, but you can only choose it once, and once you've chosen it, you can't choose it again oof, that was brutal. I misunderstood that the first time. And I think I did that a little bit too early on and did some what I thought was this epic move only to find out that I basically closed off every avenue of success for the rest of the game. So lesson learned, but fun game. I really enjoyed it. And I'm I'm glad that you brought that one, Adam. Yeah, thanks, Chris. This one gets more fun every time I play. And you're alluding to that uh, when you go off suit, when you're playing off suit, you remove your little cube and that prevents you from being able to go off suit in that color anymore for the rest of the round. So if you are going to throw down this big red Trump suit and hose over Steve so he can't make his bid, that's it. You got to be prepared to go the rest of the round without playing on that, that red again. And what you want to try to do is generate some kind of paradox so that whoever does generate the paradox gets negative for every trick they've taken. So a lot of fun here to be had. Steve was enjoying this one. We were talking a little strategy as we were playing. And I started to see, you know, what's going to happen, what I thought what would happen this time and this time. So a little bit of predictability here, which was fun, which I love in a trick-taking game. You can try to plan it out and force somebody into something they don't want to do or you know force the cards to go the way you want them to go so you can take that extra trick had another great time playing cat in the box yeah and just so we don't have to revisit this again later in the conversation we this is one game that a few of us played again on saturday night like the next night so i did get a chance to play this this weekend as well it was my second play of it what a fun little game the first time i went all in i was like i can i'm gonna win four tricks because i had all these high cards in my hand but somebody's always got to like, oh, no, this is the time I'm going to throw the two red down there and completely screw your plans. And then I don't get any more tricks the rest of the game. Uh, I'm terrible at it. I, I usually am terrible at these games where you have to announce in advance how many tricks you're going to win. But super fun time with this one again. So, yeah, great game. I got this one recently and I uh, haven't opened it yet, but I'm excited to get some more plays of this for sure. Great. This is when these guys were nice enough to come and pick me up from the Portland airport from good old PDX. And we drove right back to the house and everyone's like, OK, so this here's the one contest we had the whole weekend. This was when we were going to play a game to see what rooms we got. So first place, of course, was going to have first pick of the rooms. Usually when we do these cons, we take turns picking the game that we're going to play. And this one was like, everyone's like, okay, we got to pick a game that everybody knows well. 
and everyone jumped in terraforming Mars. That's the game that's getting played right now. And guys, I got to tell you, this was one of my most fun plays of terraforming Mars. I don't know why. Maybe just the excitement of first night at BGHTCon. Had a super fun time exploring some strategies I hadn't played around with. It's been a little while since I played it. And it just felt super competitive, super tight. Blast playing Terraforming Mars reminds me why I love this game so much. Surprisingly, maybe one of my hits of the weekend. You know, one of my favorite gameplays, even though I played this game dozens of times. How's it go? How, how'd it go for you guys? It went great. I mean, there is nothing wrong with loving a game that you already love. I mean, you know, it's if there's a reason why we like this one and there's a reason why we play it pretty much every con because it is it's a great game. I suspect probably one of the reasons why you felt so good about this, too, was the fact that you won. I don't think you mentioned that. but <laughs> I would uh, never mention that, Chris. <laughs> which meant that Tim got the first pick of the bedrooms in the place, and, uh, and he got a fine one indeed. I tried to do my favorite strategy, which is the Jupiter planet cards. With the Jupiter planet cards, there, there are certain tiles you can get. There are certain cards you can play where once you have them, you get a point or even two points for every Jupiter card that you play. And then they're kind of few and far between and most of them are pretty expensive. But if you can get them, you can really rock it and you can like build up some huge points. So I kept doing that and I kept building these things up and building these things up. And by the end of it, I had two of the cards that give you points per Jupiter tag. And I still wasn't able to pull it off. I was pretty happy with my performance on it. I love getting those Jupiter cards, and I got a bunch of them here. I think I had something like 15, 16 points worth of Jupiter tags by the end of it. Still wasn't enough to pull it off, but a great play. And I love playing with the full, um, with the big box set that has the upgraded pieces that make the board just an absolute delight to look at. I mean, it's 3D, it's visceral, it's nice to put your fingers on the the tiles. Uh, Tim busted on me a little bit because I don't have the domes. But I don't like domes. I hate domes. Nobody likes domes. Who wants to live under a dome? So we didn't use those. But other than that, we had the full complement of upgraded pieces here. And I thought that was a lot of fun to play with, too. The worst thing about other than Chris not having the domes, and I think which was actually a kind of a crime, was that when Chris <laughs> showed up with his box, the, the top of the lid and the bottom of the lid, which if you've ever seen the side of this big box game, you know, they have to match the artwork matches up and he didn't even have it matched up. Oh, you guys I, are so fussy. I don't even understand. So oh, it was sickening, Tim. It was <laughs> sickening. Oh, my gosh. Despite Chris's wrongdoings, Terraforming Mars is still one of the best Euro games. I absolutely love this game. You know, I hadn't played it in a while either. And it was nice to come back to it. And you realize what makes it stand out after we play all these other games. I think the energy into heat is a really neat mechanism that... A lot of games don't do anything like that. So that's just one little small tidbit. I like all the different strategies. Chris was talking about the Jovian strategy. I had the corporation that got me an extra prelude card at the beginning of the game. So that was kind of fun. I just tried to pick the stuff that sounded fun. So I went heavy into trying to give myself a bunch of money and terraforming at the beginning of the game so I could be flexible and kind of go this way or that way. I think I ended up in last place by a long shot. Maybe I was back there with Steve hanging out, but you guys dominated. I had so much fun playing this game. It, we're all so competitive at this game now, and we just breeze right through it. I think we got done in, I don't know, nine or ten generations and under three hours, which is saying a lot for Terraforming Mars. One of the funny things about this particular play of it was that because of a couple of prelude cards and some early plays that happened, we had all of the oceans on the board by like the second or third generation, which I've never seen before. 
And so there were some cards that have like very high ocean conditions that you have to meet that were getting played early. So just a, it was kind of a weird mix of stuff that happened in this game. Yeah. And and that was all that was a ton of fun to see. Now, Adam, like the last few times you've talked about this, you know, whether it's on your top 40 list or, you know, even when we've talked about other kinds, you've always been kind of like, yeah, this is a classic. I know it well, it's comfort food, but, you know, I'm not that hot on it anymore. But the whole time we were playing this time, you're like, man, this game is so good. This game is so good. So it did seem like it it hit a little bit better for you than it has for a while. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. I think, like I said, I hadn't played it in probably since the last time. We didn't play it at Sedona, right? No, no, I don't think we did. I think in yeah, Long so, Beach might yeah, have been so the last time else. we played it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Felt great coming back to it. Just the map. I think the map itself of Mars in that competition for putting out cities, which you dominated this time, Tim. You had the cities and you had the gardens or the forest, whatever they are called next to those cities. What a cool way to rack up points. And then you also jumped the gun on those awards and milestones. You were the first in for a lot of those, which got you a lot of points. So just the race for those and to get the positioning on the map, I think, are what sets this this game apart. The player interaction is what sets Terraforming Mars apart from a lot of other Euro-style games out there. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, this was a funny one because everyone thought Chris was going to kill it when we're looking at all the Jovian tags he's got. But the reason he didn't pull off a win with that was that he didn't have... Did you even have a single tile on the board, Chris? It was like one, maybe. I don't know. There was <laughs> nothing out there. Now, it's funny. You say that like, uh, like that was a failure, but I'm proud of the fact that I did not have a single cube <laughs> on that board, and yet I still managed <laughs> to come crazy. in second. So go Jovian Tags. Yeah, right on. All right, well, cool. So that wrapped up our first night of uh, BTHTCon Friday. So Saturday morning, first thing that was set up, Adam's pick, and he kind of started setting it up on, on Friday night and was getting ready to go. This, this was Eclipse Second Dawn for the Galaxy, a BTHTCon classic. It's a game we've played many times together, both in person as well as on Tabletop Simulator. One of our earliest reviews, in fact. So, Eclipse Second Dawn. Now, I have some thoughts about this play. How'd this one go for you guys? (laughs) Well, we may have some of the same thoughts. This was the weirdest play we'd ever had of this game. Kind of the same way that Terraforming Mars, at least for me, it was weird playing this game and not putting any cubes out on the board. This play of Eclipse... I don't know what exactly happened. I think maybe it has something to do with we had a lot of cards with really powerful, the neutral, the old ships, what were they call them? Ancients. Ancients, yeah. The, the guardians, yeah. The, the, the ships, the neutral ships that you have to fight in order to move around. There was almost no conflict. I mean, this felt like one of the most uneventful games of Eclipse that we'd ever played. I mean, people weren't really attacking each other. I think we might have had one or two battles amongst us, maybe three, through the whole game. And that was it because we were stymied by these crazy neutral ships. At least for me, this was not a great play. I still had a lot of fun, but in terms of my performance in the game and planning and whatnot, I was really disappointed because I didn't really get a lot done. I spent a lot of time building up, you know, one ship and then not really doing anything with it, which isn't really a great strategy in this game. You want to actually try to do more than build up your your technologies (laughs) on one little ship. I think I fought, um, forget who I fought. Maybe it was even the the ancients that I fought and just got slain. Yeah, it was Adam. Yeah, the last round of the game where everything, this huge stuff is supposed to be happening. I went into a battle with Adam and he basically swatted my little tiny, you know, interceptors out of the, out of space. And that was very sad, but this is a great game and I can't let this one weird play sour my opinion on it because it is such a wonderful game. I, I had a great time with it, even if it was a weird play. 
Yeah, you know, sometimes I'm going to tell you guys a little secret. Sometimes I'll rig those three tiles with the the tiles that I think are more fun. So I have a couple of little expansions of the Nebula or Supernova. I think those are great. And there's one, you know, the divvies up into three sections that has discovery tiles in there. So I'll mix those in there. And I have sometimes at the expense of some of those ancients or guardians, whichever ones they are, the neutral ships, I'll kind of take those out so we can spread around more, have more easy access to make allies and this and that. So yeah, this was a weird place. So many ships were out there. It would have been good to be that yellow faction that gets points for surviving ancients, I think it is. Anyway, I still had a fun time. It was a weird play. I felt bad. Tim's going to talk about this on his turn coming up to talk. Just the dice rolls. Tim's always talking about the dice rolls. They were just incredibly not in his favor in this game. But he did make some dumb choices with his ships to go, you know, he's seriously outgunned and he went in and tried to take these guys out. Like, what is he doing? And he would just get punched in the gut and like cheap shotted left and right. And he kept going back for more. What are you doing, Tim? What are you, why are you going back in there? Just settle it down. Just regroup a little bit. All right. You don't have to go back in there. But these ancients just kept hammering poor Tim. So. How are you feeling, Tim? Okay, so there's a couple of weird things that happen with this play for sure. Like one is that normally we have two alliances on the board within the first round, maybe second round at the most. But the way that the exploration tiles came out, nobody could connect. So the only way you could get to your neighbors were through these ancients. That, that was the closest connection you could make. So early in the game, first round, right, I got a decent ship. I upgraded a little bit and I'm going to go fight these two ancients. And they were the toughest agents that exist, but I was like, okay, if I get a little bit lucky here, this could be a huge boon for me. I'm going to take them out. I'm going to get this exploration. Some there was They were sitting on a tile with some planets on it. So I went in there. I roll my two dice and get nothing. And Adam rolls the two dice from the agents and it's all hits. It's, it's two you know sixes essentially, which basically means that I'm wiped off the board. Of course, the first roll of the game, that's what happens. Okay. That was a little, it was risky for sure, but I was like, if I, I'll push my luck here, this could really make my game. Yeah, I can break it a little bit, but I, I had a route to come back. I had a plan for what I was going to do. So the next two rounds, I build back up, build up a couple ships and I go in there and I'm like evenly forced with these guys. I was like, it cannot be this bad. I roll again. I get nothing. Adam rolls again, all hits again. And this happened for like four rounds in a row. And it's just, it was so ridiculously bad. I finally started giving the dice to other people so that Adam couldn't roll them. And they were doing the same thing. I just got pummeled this whole game. I never, I never killed an ancient. I don't think the whole game, so. or if I did, it was like at the end of it. I never could get anywhere to fight with anybody. It was just ridiculous. And of course, I wasted a lot of resources just trying to get to that point. But I still had some fun stuff that I did. Like I would have had a cool engine building. Like I had a, I had some cool ships that were built up. I had my economy was moving, except I couldn't get to any other planets. I've never seen that. I even came in a distant third, surprisingly, with all of that mess that was going on. Um, so still had some interesting decisions here. But man, the combat in this game and just how Euroy this game is with that huge amount of randomness in it is so rough for me. It's so rough for me. But always happy to still play it, even with a mess like that. After years of this type of nonsense happening, I go in with a little bit of a, a little bit of a better spirit about it, and just expect that there's some luck. You can get bad exploration tiles, you can get bad dice rolls, but you can still have fun going and playing this game. And we we do play it pretty quick. I think we got it done in two hours, and so still had a fun time playing it. But ugh, those dice rolls, rough. Yeah, 
Adam, you're right that he probably made some questionable choices, but <laughs> nobody deserves the bloodbath that he got in that, <laughs> that game. I wouldn't yeah. wish that on my worst enemy. And I'm only <laughs> a second bad. worst enemy, so <laughs> you definitely wouldn't wish it on me. <laughs> So next, we get to talk about one of the first new games, the new games to us. And Chris has been talking about this game for a while. We just mentioned it last week on our incoming Kickstarter episode. It was Lords of Ragnarok, one of Chris's new Kickstarters from Awakened Realms that he's been waiting for for a while and got to get Lords of Ragnarok on the table. What a beautiful production. Yeah, that's pretty much sums it up. What a beautiful production. This is going to be the one game that I'm going to have really negative things to say about for this weekend. And it makes me really sad because I had had really high hopes for this game. I had owned Lords of Hellas and enjoyed the game. It wasn't my favorite game, but it was a game that I liked. And I thought that Lords of Ragnarok, at least the way it was, you know, sort of marketed by Awakened Realms, is they they improved upon Lords of Hellas, made it an even better game with a great production. And so I was really excited to get it and to try it and to see if that was true. This game ended up being one of the fiddliest, most intricate in the worst way rule sets that I felt that I had ever played. I really went into this wanting to love this game. I spent, I think I even mentioned this on one of our previous episodes, I spent nearly an entire weekend trying to learn this game so that I'd be ready to teach it and I'd be ready to get you guys going without a whole lot of hassle. The reality is, Once we got this thing on the table, I still had to go almost line by line through the rule book to remember all the details of setup. And then the amount of time that we spent playing this game, I think we went maybe two to three hours worth of time spent on this game. And we didn't even finish it. And most of that, well, maybe not most of it, maybe half of that time we spent just going back through the rule book looking for after this happens, what happens next? I imagine that if you played this game multiple times, if you really did enjoy it, then you would get a hang of it. You'd get the hang of it and you'd learn it and you wouldn't have to keep going back to the rule book. But my goodness, it felt so oppressive having to do that constantly. Another complaint that I had was the board did not allow enough space for the pieces that were on that board. It was so crowded. It was difficult to tell what was going on. Now, in fairness, I had bought through GameFound when I funded this one, I got the terrain expansion pack, and that added on some miniatures that you wouldn't have had on the board at all if you didn't have the uh, the terrain pack. So for example, there's these different realms that you interact with that would just have a token on the board to say, this is that realm. The terrain expansion added a large mini that went in that space. But by the time you added in the minis and the pieces, the the player pieces, and the shrines, and all the various things that you can add on that look really cool when you're looking at it on the on the crowdfunding page. By the time you actually got that stuff on the board, it was nearly impossible to see the board itself, to see any indicators on the board, or to tell where anything was or what was happening. So you add those two things together, and it was just, I felt a really unfortunate experience. We made it those couple hours into the game. And finally, I said, hey, guys, I don't really feel like anybody's enjoying this. I'm certainly not. Why don't we call it? Everybody agreed with me on that one. And this is one that unfortunately, as much as I was hoping to love this game, 
it's going to be leaving my collection very soon. So if anybody wants a deal on Lords of Ragnarok, <laughs> let me know. Yeah, this was one where when you were given the rules description, Chris, I was excited for it. Looking at the production, looking at the map. Oh, we got some interesting player interaction here. Steve and I were like, oh, that's pretty cool how that happens. Oh, what? You get to do that? And then you could take control of the monster and you can move the monster around and kind of operate him. And there's a little bit of combat. Sounds cool. All these different things that sound really neat. There's a little parasitic bonus for whoever takes these actions first in the middle, if you have a little token. So a lot of neat ideas and principles in this game, but the execution was just horrendous. I think there's like 25 little steps and they're on these little player aids. So you kind of are walking down through these little steps and it just gets tedious. Or you get to back to rune action. What the heck is a rune action? Why is it at this point in the process? And I'm going to flip these little cards. Okay, here's what I get to do for the rune action. I can choose from one of these five or six things. And then, okay, that's cool. Now I'll flip this card back over and continue on down. So you could see that the potential is there if you were ever bold enough to get this whole flow down, you might be able to have some fun playing this game. You have to dedicate a lot of time and have a group that dedicates a lot of time to getting the flow down and to understand it. And I didn't think it made chronological sense the way these things executed. I'm sure during playtesting that they had some reason for organizing it this way, but I could not make sense. We went through three or four rounds and it just never sunk in. There was nothing that felt extraordinarily neat. I got stuck trying to fight these monsters and I was able to like put some little tokens out. And so even the combat, you know, usually I'm like, yeah, let's do some combat, but that was tedious too. It was flip a card and then flip another card, flip a card, flip another card, back and forth and back and forth. And then, oh, just thinking about this game is making me a little sick. I'm so glad we called it and decided not to finish it. I don't know how much longer it would have taken, I have a sense it would have taken at least two more hours to finish this thing off. You guys are being too nice to Lords of Ragnarok. I didn't have a second of fun in it. Mm. I mean, when Chris was telling us and teaching the rules, I was like, okay, there could be some interesting things here, but it just wasn't. There's nothing fun about it. The action selection in it was just kind of glorified work replacement that that didn't create interesting decisions. The combat was was terrible. I mean, we played Lords of Hellas, Chris and I had before, and there was an interesting thing about battling the monsters in there, about the way that you have these cards to fight them. That was kind of interesting. It seemed like they tried to fix it here in some way to make it so that the first person that battled a monster would get some of the better benefits of it. But there was no joy in turning over that card, or even when you're fighting against the other players and flipping over the card. It wasn't fun. There was no exciting moments at all in this game. I'll just say, if you want a Viking-themed game with combat in it, just play Blood Rage. Mm -hmm. That is that is what this game is if they had a developer that actually enjoyed having fun in games. And that's what that would have turned into. Uh, everything that I did in this the whole time, I was like, man, if they just cut that and cut that and cut that and then cut that, oh, wait, this is Blood Rage. It'd be a fun game then, right? This is not a fun game. I don't see how it ever gets fun, no matter how much you play it. So I would stay away from Lords of Ragnarok. I won't usually say that. I'll usually say that, hey, this might be a game for you if. I don't think this is a game for anybody, except, and I'm going to sound a little bit, um, uh, a little snobby here, but I get it. If if you've invested a lot of money in a Kickstarter and you were excited for it and you got this game, you're going to talk yourself into liking this game. So if you enjoy this game, I'm going to guess there may be an element of that in there because I don't see how you get enjoyment out of this game in any other situation. 
from the first round, I was like, I can't believe we have to sit and keep playing this game. And when Chris <laughs> called it two hours in, I was so happy that I didn't have to be the jerk that said, stay away, you know, like, or like, or let's, let's put an end to this. Cause I can't play this anymore. So Chris, again, I don't, I, you should not feel bad. You, you brought a game to the table. You, you spent the time and effort into teaching us the game. You did a great job with the teach yeah, as best as anyone could have done with this mess of a rule set and, and, um, you know, round cycle that they had going on here. It just isn't a good game. So I uh, Lords of Hellas, by the way, is is a better game and it's not a perfect game. It's got its own issues, but it's a more fun game. So if you really want to play one of these games, just stick with the original Lords of Hellas. Tim, I kept shooting you glances during like <laughs> I could tell you were just in pain over there. We went to another combat and you'd just be like, oh, my God, why is this happening to me? And it would just go on and on forever. And then, you know, it was so funny to see like, okay, next up, what are we doing next? Who's going next? Okay, Adam, your turn. Do this, do this. And I was like, yep, yep, I'm with you, Tim. Let's get through this thing. I can't believe I was, I went from such excitement to such disappointment. We talked, Chris, how it's never fun when you have such high hopes for a game and you want it to land. And this wasn't, it wasn't the rules teacher's fault. It wasn't that, it it just was a horrible game. It's just a horrible game. Yeah. And uh, Tim, I've got to agree with you on what you said, because I was feeling that. I mean, I played this game and hated it when I was playing it at home, getting ready to teach you guys. (laughs) But I (laughs) but I saw things in there that I'm like, okay, maybe if we're all sitting there together doing this and we're getting hyped up, this could be a little bit fun. I my brain, my inclination based on having spent a ton of money on this game was to was to like it was to find something in there to like about it to love about it but holy cow after two three hours whatever it was it had just beaten all of that joy out of me and so thankfully that's the last we got to say about that this game is out of my collection it's going away i have about as negative a feeling about this game as i've ever had about a game before and the rest of the games this weekend were awesome in comparison (laughs) well the next game we played was steve's pick he brought his copy of wingspan he just picked up the expansion oceania which he'd played before but didn't own and i'd never played it so i was actually interested in trying this out chris you played oceania before right yep yeah i've got all the expansions asia the late being the latest and oceania is a lot of fun because it adds in the concept of the nectar where you have this nectar which is a wild resource but it's also a resource that goes away so at the end of the round if you haven't used it it disappears unlike the other resources that you might gather and there's also a scoring piece that goes along with the nectar as well the nectar that you use as a wild resource gets placed on your play mat and so for each of the different areas in which you can take a uh, an action so the forest the plains or the wetlands with birds that you've used nectar for you get bonus at the end if you're the player that has the most nectar that you've used for birds in that habitat. So it was a neat little extra, an extra addition. He also had, I think it wasn't just Oceania. He, did he have Europe in there as well? No, it was, it was just Oceania. Just Oceania. Okay. Yeah. I think all of the expansions are fun and bring a little bit of something new to the game. But if I had to pick one, I think Oceania would probably be it. Yes. My first time with Oceania, I thought the nectar stuff was was pretty i'm not the biggest fan of wingspan i'll play it if i have to but the nectar was interesting i thought that was a cool addition to the game so i enjoyed that aspect it made the bird feeder 
a lot more valuable, I thought, when those, so you see those nectar dice in there because it goes towards this kind of majority competition at the end of the game. So I thought that was a nice addition. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Wingspan for me has never been a super hit, but it's always been a pleasant game to play. I'm always okay playing. It just doesn't get me excited. And this was a pleasant play. And I did think the Oceania expansion also was my favorite way to play it. Having a little bit of extra player competition for the nectar and, you know, deciding where to put a bird just so you could keep the majority. And some of the cards in there added, I think, some interesting things that the base game didn't have. So I think this was a great way to play Wingspan. And if you like Wingspan, you should probably check it out. I think it's uh, it's the way I'd prefer to play it in the future. But uh, yeah, it was it was fine to revisit. And in fact, it was nice after playing this heavy game that nobody knew how to play. Yeah. And we had just had a struggle through. We all kind of just sat down, got right into the game again. And so it was a nice uh, palate cleanser, let's say, for the rest of the weekend. Totally. So after Wingspan Oceania, this was my pick. And of course, I had to bring out the first of the heavy Euros, but a game that I think everybody enjoyed a lot. And this was Lagranha. I have the Lagranha Deluxe Edition, which I'd gotten on Kickstarter recently. And I was really excited to get this played in person. I don't think you guys have never played this in person, right? Only on Board Game Arena before. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it would be you know, pretty entertaining. I was excited to see if Adam got the Peddler card. Didn't happen. Yeah. What do you guys think? Uh, how, how was Lagranha in person for you? I thought it was great, and I'm so glad that Adam didn't get that peddler card because I would have walked out of the house <laughs> and, and never come back. Uh, no, <laughs> I thought it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. This is a game I enjoy already to begin with, so I went into it knowing that I was going to have a good time. But playing with the Deluxe Master set was such an absolute pleasure. This is a game that for all its great mechanisms and for all its fun is just an ugly beast of a game in the original incarnation. And... I think we all loved it, even when we were just looking at that that green and brown art <laughs> in the original game. And so to see it with this bright, airy, vibrant colors and these lovely player boards you can slot the cards under. There are these three-layer player boards where you had you actually slotted the card under the board and it had a little lip down there that would stop the card so it would fit right into the spot where it needed to be. And all of that was just absolutely amazing. Art was an improvement. The boards were an improvement. Everything about this was an improvement over the original version. In addition to that, I think, Tim, you said that there was a whole slew of new cards that were available for the, you know, for different purposes, like the, um, forget what do you call the those? helper the, cards? The help, yeah, the yeah. helper cards. You have the helper cards. And for example, there was an entirely new kind of card that I had never seen before. Normally, what you're trying to do is you're trying to build up your resources so that you can fill market barrows and then place market barrows out in the market. Uh, in this in this game, I actually saw a couple of cards where instead of putting out resources into the market barrows to go sell, you could put in coins into the market barrows and then you just got points for it. You didn't have to go to a specific place. You just get straight points. So the variety was great. The production was great. It's a great game to begin with. I thought this one was a joy. Yeah, this is one we played on Board Game Arena a handful of times. And despite the lackluster production on that, it still shines. This game is fantastic. And getting to play your version here, Tim, what a delight. I had so much fun. Even though I didn't get to pedal anybody, I still had tons of fun playing this one. There's there's so many combinations. Each card you can use in four different ways. So imagine that even with two cards, that's like 16 different ways. Throw in like four cards. I can't even do the math on that. It's too much. Just explodes. So 
just infinite replayability here with these different combinations you can do with all these cards and different strategies you can go after. What a cool game and a cool design for Lagrana. Yeah, this was uh, super fun for me. And, it, you know, it, it's about double the number of helper cards. And I think the helper part of it, kind of that engine building, that like special ability you get, you can add up to three of them over the course of the game, is really the key of what makes it unique. And by having that much variety was awesome. I will say, though, this was my first time, you know, kind of teaching this again in person, playing it in person and managing the upkeep. And go back and listen to our original review on this. I thought it was a super fun episode. But one of the concerns I had when I played that on Board Game Arena was, how is this going to be to teach somebody? And and I'm going to have to do the maintenance to kind of have to walk you through each phase of the game. And it's still a pain in the butt. It wasn't terrible. You guys all knew it, which helped. But I was thinking about playing this with some of my friends at like midweight games. And it's a lot to track. So it's not a perfect game, but it's a really fun game. I had a great time playing it. And I'd love to play it with my friends that like heavy euros. I think there's just the right touch of interaction, plus just being able to do your own thing and build your own engine and rolling all those chunky dice and putting them on the, uh, you know, the dice drafting spaces and determining what that market's going to be like every time was super fun. Uh, The fact that you get down to that last dice, the one that everybody gets to the person who picks the one right before it gets to kind of decide what does everyone else get to do? And they, they all have to look around and, Hey, what is this? What is this person? Oh, he's going to want a donkey. No, let, let me let me take this other dice instead. So I think pretty good interaction for a Euro on this one and had fun with it. We jumped into Saturday morning and Adam, as I was getting up out of bed about 7 a.m., Adam was at the table setting up battle for the battle for Rokugan. Now, this is a game that Adam has talked about on the show probably 100 times. <laughs> he's brought it to several cons. We've never gotten it played. He's never played it. He's had this huge hype fest in his mind about how awesome this game was going to be try to hype us up about it and we're like okay adam finally can we just play it so you'll stop talking about it yeah so we got the battle for rokugan on the table taught us one of the most fun games that i have ever played i loved this game chris how'd the battle for rokugan go for you i liked it it just <laughs> and what's funny is that there was a lot of comparisons that were made throughout this game there was comparisons to Samurai, which I think is just absolutely insane. There's nothing Reiner Knizia like about this game. <laughs> I don't know what you guys were thinking when it comes to that. And the other was with Rising Sun. This ain't Rising Sun. I mean, obviously, there's some thematic similarity there, but this is a very different game. And it doesn't have that Eric Lang flair. But I will say I enjoyed this game more than I enjoyed Rising Sun. As much as I recognize the you know the excellence of Rising Sun and the clever mechanisms I like the simplicity of this game. I found it more enjoyable because of that. You're placing tokens on this board and they're basic numbered tokens and the players that you're playing against don't know what the numbers are or what kind of tokens you're placing until the big reveal. And one of the things that I thought was particularly neat about this was when you're attacking from one location into another, it's not like you just go move your token into that player's zone. You have these these little... I don't even know what you call them, teardrop-shaped pieces, the tokens that have on one side just a plain back, and on the other side, they show whether it's an army or a navy or a ninja or some other thing and a number. And if you want to attack another area, you have to put it on the border with the arrow facing toward where it's attacking to. So in other words, you're indicating your intent to attack. And if you're, you have to defend against a player 
by placing it within your zone facing inward. So you're kind of laying out what you're planning to do, but not really giving away what it is you're planning to do it with. So you might have an army that's just going to fight a battle. You might have a raiding party or a, a Ronin or a, or a ninja that's going in and doing some kind of a dirty deed and is going to lay waste to the, the place that you're attacking. And then on top of that, you had these cards that granted special powers that added a neat little take back kind of a, an aspect to it. You got to play some some clever little tricks on people. And so I thought overall, this one was as simple and elegant as you can get in a basic combat game. But that made it a lot of fun. I didn't need something super complex and and ultra clever. I thought this game just fit the bill nicely. I thought it was a great combination of excitement, area control, and simplicity. I am so glad you guys enjoyed this game. I've been, like you said, Tim, I've been wanting to play this one forever. I think I played it four-handed one time on my table like two years ago and i was like man this is this is kind of neat i think there's something here and it was cool to see that realized there was uh, some nuances that came to the forefront this game only one attacking token per border so you'd kind of want to use your token to attack as a, as a means of defense as well it kind of closed down that border and kept you safe from that side it was neat to see the power of these raid tokens i think the first turn in the game Tim laid down this ray token and just destroyed the, the gutted the middle of my territory or my region right there. So I couldn't control all three until two or three rounds later, he brought it back to life for whatever reason. Thanks, Tim. Um, it, it ended up, you know, not changing the course of the game. You still kicked everybody's butt by like 200% or something. But it was neat to see these nuances of the game, the cards that are dealt. Every person gets a two scout cards and then one card that lets you look at a chip and throw it off the table and throw it to the discard pile. I like the first player mechanism, the first, uh, first player of each round mechanism. That was pretty neat to see how that worked out. Just a lot of neat things going on in this little game that is in just a very slender box, easy to travel with that thing from Long Beach up to Portland in my luggage. A lot of stuff going on in Battle for Roku. I'm glad every it landed quite oppositely than did Lords of Ragnarok. Everyone seemed to enjoy this one, you know, almost opposite every way is production wise, teeny little chits instead of giant figurines. The gameplay was just smooth and streamlined. And I'm going to use one of my overly used adjectives. It was fantastic. In like a 10 minute teach was all you needed. Yeah. Chris, the reason we kept referencing Reiner Knizia's Samurai in this is because you also have a screen with a certain number of chips you draw each time. And they have the same, you know, certain certain uh, types of of warrior and certain numbers on them. So that was exactly the same, but that's where the similarities stopped because the game was actually fun after that. And um, not <laughs> listen, samurai is fine. Okay, I, I'm not a samurai hater like Chris is, but I'm telling you that this is true fun. This is a game where every time you're placing things out strategically and, and you're taking turns placing these and they're face down. And so you can put a token indicating that you're going to move into a region. And then so the next, the person who's in that region has to decide, well, what are they putting? Are they bluffing? Are they putting something big? And it just makes that hit, that unknown so exciting. And then when you reveal them all over and you're like, oh, somebody had a bluff token there. They had the raid token. This was just, this was a really fun game. It is a minimal production, but beautiful production, even though it is minimal and it's just, you know, cardboard shits. 
like Adam said, a small box. The variability in the different region cards that are going to come up every game, I think, are going to add some fun, exciting moments. Really wonderful game. This is a game that I'm, I'm, I looked into it after we played it, and I'm sad to say that it's out of print right now. So I'll be keeping an eye open for this. Hopefully, can find something at a reasonable price because I really like this game. I think there's a lot of fun to be had here, and I think this is a game that could get a lot of gameplay in the future. And I hope we get it played at other, at, you know, future cons. Hopefully, this is a regular for us because I think this is a, this is going to be a fun one to revisit. All right. Well, that's going to wrap up this week's episode. Now we have a whole bunch of additional games, some new, some old that we'll be talking about that we got to play over this weekend. But we're going to wrap this up with next week's episode. Before we wrap up today, though, we did have a couple more great reviews. Again, we've got a kind of a queue of reviews that I have to get through as we've had a lot of great listeners leave nice things for us on Apple Podcasts recently. So I'll just read two more of them today. The first one was left by Randy Montero, and I know Randy's been interacting with us on Twitter for a little a little while, so this was great to see his review. The title was Awesome Board Game Podcast. He said, BGHT is one of the best board game podcasts around. Chris, Adam, and Tim always give informative and insightful reviews, but more than that, they make them entertaining with their witty banter. I look forward to the show every week. Keep up the good work, guys. Thanks, Randy. That was so nice of you to say. Wonderful review. Thanks for interacting with us on Twitter. We're not going to be on Twitter much longer, but while you're there, good to see you. Let's uh, let's move everybody. Okay, listeners, let's move over to Blue Sky, our Facebook group. That's where you're going to be interacting with us in the future. The other review we got is a little bit a little bit longer, but I think it's worth reading through here. This is uh, the the title was writing a review after many months of listening. Stephanie said, "I'm finally writing a review after listening to this podcast for months. I think well over a year." I've loved what they've been doing, how they structured the show, and that they sound like so many other regular gamers that I've talked to before. They're a blast to listen to, and I always enjoy listening to a new episode, even though we don't always have the same taste in games. I've learned to just laugh whenever they discuss a co-op game. (laughs) When it comes to who my favorite is, that's a tough choice. They're all great, including the occasional guest appearance of Jen and or Steve. I would normally say Tim because I also love a good Euro game and I've gotten into solo games. However, I think I'm going to say Chris, sorry, Adam, because we share a love for very pretty games, whether it's amazing art, minis, or the whole production, it can be oh so tempting. Anyway, good job, guys. Looking forward to listening to you for many more years. This was Emerald Pixie over at Apple Podcast. Stephanie, thank you so much for this wonderful review. Chris needed that vote. Nice to put one in his calendar. And thanks, Stephanie, for acknowledging with me that beauty does matter sometimes. All right. Well, I think that will wrap up this week's episode. Until next week, take care, everybody. Good night, all. Bye-bye. I'm kind of glad you weren't there for my father's work because the game, it's a hoot. I mean, that game was a blast, but we kind of messed it up because, for one, there was an issue with the app, and for the second, we misread one of the card situations, and so we screwed a couple things up. So the next time we play it, we'll really have it dialed in, and you'll get the full experience.